This is part three of talking to straight survivor Don Smith, who was in straight from 1981 to 1982. The majority of his time in straight was in Cincinnati, Ohio. <clears throat> okay, so in the following section on staff training, I will read questions that I drafted. The reason I am doing this is because I never personally went through staff training. So this is one of those things that I don't want to wing it. Um, and Don's answer to those, that none of these are scripted on his part. I just have questions drafted for me. So first we're going to start with, you went through the staff training. Right. When was that? I honestly, I, I think it was after I had seven stepped. Right. That there was a, uh, a pre-training class that was being put together. Uh-huh. And most of the time you had to be at least on, I think you could be taken at fourth phase, but you couldn't make training until you were at least on fifth phase. Okay. And so it was a 46-hour course. Mm -hmm. um, I don't remember how many days a week we met or anything, but basically what we did was we went over wrap therapy, uh -huh. how a wrap is, is drafted and constructed, and how it's eventually um, executed uh -huh. in front of the group. And there were basically a couple of different sections. You talk about your past, and then it would go into the present, how you're doing with that topic, uh -huh. whatever topic it was, right. how you're dealing with it now, and then set future goals. Right. And um, that's basically all I remembered that we ever really did. Okay. And after that course, were you automatically a staff trainee? No. You had what? to put in a, um, a resume. And a resume basically was just why I think I would make a good staff member. Okay. All right, so did you need a college degree with a concentration in counseling, addictions, no. or psychology as a prerequisite to going on straight staff? No, nothing. Did you need any kind of experience? No. So all you needed was to have completed the program? Right. How old? What was the age range of kids on staff? Um, I've seen kids as young as 16, 15, 16 years old. As staff? As staff. And, and what was the oldest? Part. Maybe like early 20s? Yeah, 2021. If I remember right, most of them were like late teens, though. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 18, that's what I 19. Yeah. Right. There's um, a couple of them that were 20 or 21 years old, but. Yeah, that, that blows my mind that nobody needs to know anything. Right. Um. Anyway, except for being a program graduate. Um. So, there was something that you sent me called the responsibility outline for staff trainee. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. And there were six levels of staff training. Um, there were tasks. I'm going to get out the document now and, and read it. So the first level, I'm just going to read, and then if Don has anything he wants to say about it, he will. Um, first level, may conduct one-on-ones with staff approval, may help staff with client search, may do group medication and attendance, may supervise closed search, may approve dime therapy for phasers, but not seven-steppers, and may lead, lead sorry, <laughs> group exercises. Um, comments, criticisms? I just remember that when a person first made staff trainee, the first thing that they did after they said their little spiel about how proud they were and how they were going to be a good in staff In an open member, meeting, right? In an open meeting, yes. Right. Then they were whisked off to do the closed search. Okay. And to supervise that. That was something that every trainee did. That was their very first task that they ever did. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and I do remember closed search. I got to do yes. it. It was always a huge, wonderful thing. Oh, I get to not yes. be in open meeting. Right. <laughs> so you got to get out of open meeting right then right. and there. Yeah. Um, second level. It says, may co-lead small groups with staff, 
may co-lead rules and basics rep with staff, may sit and observe sibling interviews with staff, may receive phone calls, may deal with front office front office issues, sorry, tongue twister, um, may lead songs in front of group in between raps without staff, and may supervise open meeting setup and cleanup without staff. Um, next was third level. May co-lead homes rap with staff. May co-lead guys and girls rap with staff. May co-lead third and fourth phase raps with staff. May co-lead lunch with staff. If seventh step, may start on various paperwork, such as incident reports, which we will talk about. If seventh step may start on primary counseling, treatment plans, and comment sheets. And if seventh step may associate with staff during off hours. And then there was the fourth level. May co-lead dinner with staff. May co-lead big group wrap with staff. May assist staff with family conferences. May lead rules without staff may lead basics without staff, may lead small groups without staff. And we're getting close to where you're getting to be on your own more, fifth yeah. level, may co-lead open meeting with staff, may co-lead dismissal with staff, may do sibling interviews without staff, may lead guys and girls rep without staff, and may lead lunch without staff. And finally, on the sixth level, you could lead dinner without staff and lead large group rep without staff. So everything built on the previous level, they were kind of cumulative, right. right? Yeah. Okay. Let me get back to my little outline. So it sounds like that whole training was nothing more in how to perpetuate Straits system. Right. Is that exactly, right? Exactly, yeah. So it wasn't real mental health training right. or addictions training at all. It was right. just, this is how straight did it, and you're going to learn how, right. to, how we do it here. And listening to you read that again, for the because I never, I haven't read it in years. I, uh-huh. I, I sent it to you last night, but I never even read over it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. why would I need to do lunch with staff? Uh-huh. You know, it's basically just calling on kids and having them talk about changes that they're making. I would, there was never lunch be, was light kind of yeah, it was just like why would I need it why would it just didn't make any sense some of this things that they had me do I think it was just busy work uh-huh. to justify them getting me to the point where they where I would qualify to make the next level of staff what so, one struck me is uh, supervising dismissal right and <clears throat> people listening that weren't straight won't have the first clue what dismissal was right. this is when people were assigned homes you right. know when things were changed like why would this need to be supervised i mean and right. we we had to stand in line heel toe right so it was actually a thing right it yeah. wasn't this simple okay time to go yeah everybody just leave it no. wasn't like that you had to line up toe to toe you had to be in a perfect line you had your nose basically had to be in the back of the head of the person in front of you and you had to have your hands in the belt loop of your newcomer. Right. And staff would walk up and down. Right. And fifth phasers would actually smack your hand if you were holding on to a newcomer to make sure you had a good grip on your newcomer. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't, oh, Lord. Yeah. That was a confrontation in and of itself. And so, how long did these dismissals go on? I mean. It was probably a good half an hour. Before, sometimes longer. Before they even said goodnight and then you were out, allowed to leave. Yeah. And but, even then you had to walk out of the door with this perfect 
Yeah. So, so there was a staff member ruling over this whole procedure. Right. You know, it was I can a, remember it was a some thing. of them, especially down at St. Pete, they would actually stand on a stool so they could oversee the whole room. Oh, wow. From where they were. Well, that makes sense because St. Pete had a lot more kids in yeah. it. There was like well over 300 when yeah. you went in there briefly. Yeah. There so were, There was at least three or four staff members supervising the dismissal at that time. Craziness. Yeah. Um, anyway. Uh, how how high up in that staff training did you get? I got to the sixth level. Okay, so you were almost finished. Right. Okay, which we'll get to why you didn't later, but right. um, one of the things that was mentioned was the Holmes rap where you got to co-lead that, mm -hmm. and that's another thing that people aren't going to understand. What is a Holmes rap? The Holmes raps were conducted on Mondays and Friday mornings, uh -huh. the day of open meetings, uh -huh. and this is where first phasers would stand up and put in for to get talk. Uh-huh which was a five-minute talk after the open meeting uh -huh. that you had with your parents that was also supervised by an old comer. Uh -huh. If you could get talking responsibilities, which was the same five-minute talk after the open meeting, but it also allowed that newcomer to be led around the building instead of being held onto by the belt loop, you could have somebody's hand on your shoulder. So there was still somebody with you, but it wasn't as drastic as having your belt looped. Right. Of course, once you left the group room, then the hand went right back on the belt loop around the house. You still had to to lead them around by the belt loop because of the p potential of copying out or whatever. Uh -huh. And then you can ask for home, which was basically second phase. Right. And so they went in the order that the child that the children were in the program. So if somebody was there three days or more, you could start putting in for it. And uh -huh. then you would go up until you ran out of kids that were putting in, that were first phasers putting in for something. Uh-huh. And then after after all of those were done, and that was the bulk majority of your time was spent on first phasers putting in for stuff because there was okay. a lot more criticism, a lot more feedback right. during that from the group and from the staff. And then after that, it was second phasers putting in for third phase, third phasers putting in for fourth phase and on up. Mm -hmm. And um, so... And again, who was it leading these raps? Were these professionals or kids? These were kids. These, these are, were, again, untrained teenagers, kids. Teenagers, untrained kids. So uneducated young adults and teenagers were making decisions about a child's life and well-being, basically. Right. Okay. So this is just like step one in the process, though. It was. Right. Yeah. Um, could Could you explain more about how the rap was conducted? Like each person got a turn to stand up, and right. can you explain what was done? They would a first phaser would talk. They would put in say, "Well, I want to put in for talk." Uh huh. And so then they would have to convince the group and staff why they think they deserve to have that five-minute talk after the open meeting. And so they would explain what changes they've made, how they're getting along with their old comer, how they're getting along with their foster family, that I'm involved in the group and uh -huh. I'm, I'm involved in the raps and everything. And then after that, then the floor was basically opened up to whoever wanted to give feedback or confront them, confront them about them being not honest or whatever about uh -huh. why they're, why they don't deserve that, what they're asking for. Right, right. And those can get pretty brutal. For the most part, I think most of them were okay. Mm -hmm. They were, it was constructive. Okay. But other times it could be really bad. If this, if this person was just, no way you're ready for this, what you're asking for, then it could get really brutal. Or if the group thought you were not right. being honest, that doesn't mean you right. were being dishonest. Right. It just meant somebody thought you, you were. You get another false accusation that you're really not ready to, to go home exactly. or whatever, but you really are. Right. So. Um, and this kind of brings me to, do you think teenagers hoping to earn talk with their parents or go home or earn a phase change had ulterior motives and would confront kids just to look good in front of staff? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Possibly so they if could they advance. Were, right, yeah. Because the more you were involved on first phase with the confrontations and, and stuff like that, then staff took notice of that and said, hey, this person's getting really strong. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're complying with what we want them to do and say. Mm -hmm. And so they have a, a higher chance of actually getting move up themselves. So they might target somebody that is not doing anything wrong just because they know they right. need to confront someone so it'll look good. Right. So somebody might be the victim of this and like they might not earn something because so-and-so wanted to confront someone so that they would earn something. Right. It was nuts. Yeah, yeah. crazy. And, and actually, it was like that in all the raps. It was just more focused on whether somebody's going to earn something or not. And that's right. why it was kind of a bigger deal when that was happening. Right. Um, so how, how do you think an untrained teenager would know what's important in considering whether someone can advance or not? Because I know you guys said you were actually taking notes right. during these raps, too. I mean, yeah. other than being in the program, was there... <laughs> Any magical knowledge a teenager had? Not that I know of, no. I didn't have the first clue whether or not a person was truly ready for what they were putting in for than anybody. Nobody else had any more knowledge than I did. So it was like the blind it. leading the blind. Right. Just. It's just who's, who was putting on the good show that day, who said the right words at the right time with the right feelings or whatever and mm -hmm. then, oh yeah I feel really good about them so we'll go yeah. ahead and, and give them this talk or this we'll put them on second phase or whatever uh -huh. other than that there was really no hard key evidence to say yes they're definitely ready right it was opinions of teenagers right and and we had mentioned earlier that old comers did write progress reports and they were turned in on this day right and they were added to the notes taken to right. homes Staff. right and so would you agree that peer staff progress notes, group input, like raising their hands and the feedback or confrontation, and the progress reports were nothing more than untrained teenagers, their views based on straight cliches mm -hmm. and straight so-called <laughs> awareness, which was a very big thing. That meant right. you were all knowing pretty right. much and knew what if anybody was of, uh, full of it um, or not. Um, so do you agree that that's pretty much what was happening? Right, yeah, absolutely. And executive staff supposedly was signing off on all the decisions, right? Whether somebody earned something or advanced, is the, that right? I think the senior staff members were the ones making the decisions on second phase, third phase, and fourth phase. Uh -huh. The executive had to sign off on the person going to fifth phase Okay. and seventh stepping. So a professional had no involvement in the decision-making of whether no. a kid advanced or not? No, and even then, even when the executive staff did step in to say about the fourth phase or make a fifth phase or the fifth phase or seventh stepping, it was still based on the opinions and notes left by the teenagers. Because they had no they interaction were, with yeah, the person at exactly, all. Exactly, yeah. Ever. Maybe they called them right. an executive rep once, but what does one right. rep tell you? Right. Tells you somebody put on a good show that day? Right. <laughs> so they had no clue how I was doing or how anybody else was doing in that program. Right. And I point all this out because, and I repeat it often to make people understand, they called it, quote, paraprofessional. So look out if you ever see that word, because right. this is what it really means. It means right. people that don't know what they're doing right. is, is in charge of your child. Right. <laughs> and, you know, God and knows can, what's going to happen. And, and controls it, every aspect of your life. Yeah, literally every aspect. Yep. And down to when you went to the bathroom, to whether or not you got to go home. Yeah. You know, it was crazy. I and mean, it was nuts. Yeah. Um, now, there were other things you did as a trainee as well. Um, like, I think you said you took notes in open meetings. What was that about? Yeah. 
Um, when the newcomers were doing the introductions, I had to take detailed notes as to what they talked about. Okay. And things of that nature. And then those were handed off to the, to the other staff. Now, was that for open meeting review when they went yeah. over their introductions? Okay, right. that makes sense. So that way, the staff looks all-knowing as well <laughs> up there saying, I remember you talked about this. No, you didn't. I wrote it down. So you remembered what he talked about, but you weren't. You weren't Because I can remember specifically times, especially because there was only two staff members that led the open meeting. The rest of the staff was hanging out in the back talking way too loud sometimes. Uh-huh. And being a distraction, but I was sitting up toward the front taking all these notes. Uh-huh. But then... It might be two other staff members that are actually leading the review, and those are the ones that needed to know those notes because they're back there talking. They're not paying attention to the newcomer introductions, but they want to make sure that they look like we were paying attention. And so this is what you talked about, and so. That just, I just had a flashback when you were talking. They had a clipboard mm -hmm. with those notes at the front of the wrap. I remember that. And yeah. they would, like, put them down on the chair. Yep and then start confronting somebody after they had called on them. Right. I literally remember them putting down the clipboard on the chair. At the yeah. Here's the notes that you need to leave this, lead this confrontation effectively. Yeah, isn't that weird that <laughs> yeah. I just remember that? It just, the things talking trigger sometimes. Yeah. Um, now you were responsible for keeping daily OBS too. Mm -hmm. What were those again? I had to write down what specifically I have to go back because each of the junior staff members were assigned target children uh -huh. that they had to call on. These were kids that they had to call on every rap that they led. Okay. And then my junior also told me, here's my targets. You have to call on them during your raps if I'm not there. Okay. And then come back and tell me what they talked about and then write it in the OBS book as well. Mm -hmm. And then if there was any startovers or any problems within the group or whatever, I had to write that down. And this was for so the trainees that may have had a day off can come back in the next day and read and be, get caught up. It's just like the fifth phase. Just like the fifth phase. Well, and OBS is work. short for observations in right. case somebody doesn't know. Okay, so you were also responsible for incident reports. What were those? Mm -hmm. If there was going to be a kid that was getting ready to get started over, uh -huh. then staff would say, we're going to start so-and-so over today, and we're going to do it during this wrap. Uh-huh. I would have to be in the back of that group in the minutes that led up to that person being called on. And then from the time that the person started, was stood up, then I had to start writing. Okay. I would have to tell what time the person was stood up, what they were confronted about, by whom they were confronted by, what staff was leading this okay. confrontation. And then just about everything that was as far as confrontation, who got called on and what did they say. And so I had to write all of this down. Okay. And then if they, when they were started over and they were announced, you're started over day one, you can start relating immediately. Uh huh. Then I would have to write the time. I would have to look at my watch and see exactly what time they were started over. Wow. And then I would have to write their response down, how they reacted to the start over. And then once it was, once they were sat down, then that incident report was done. And then I had to go back because I was scribbling and my handwriting was never the best anyway. Uh -huh. So I had to literally go back and rewrite it anyway. And then I would have to turn that in to the junior, and then it got passed up the chain of command until it wound up in their file. Oftentimes, these things would get kicked back uh -huh. and have real little red marks on them saying, you need to reword this, and you need to, to change the way you worded this. Uh -huh. And it could be four or five times before that thing finally never came back to me because they would just wow. nitpick. What I could put on, on one incident report that was said, no, you can't say that, and then I would change it, and then they'd say, no, change it back. And it's like, wait, wait, 
wait a minute. That sounds like everything was straight, you right. know? Yeah. It was, you never They're knew what you were going to get. not let you ever write an incident report that goes straight to the file. Uh -huh. There's always going to be something that's not right with it that you have to change. Um, now, you, you describe, you pretty much have to write everything that happened, literally right. everything. Yeah. Some of these confrontations where people were started over would take a long yeah. time. Yeah. So you had to, you were writing for like an hour straight sometimes? Yeah. Was it really that bad? Like, yeah. It was. That would take you all day to rewrite. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I just could only hope that I didn't have a wrap that I had to do in the next couple of hours. Otherwise, right. I would have to wait and do it later. But Yeah. And as a kid, I had no clue that yeah. you guys were doing all this, you know, yeah. tracking stuff. You know, it was just, I had no idea. Now, how often do you think the setbacks were actually planned versus spontaneous kind of on the spot decisions that were... I'm going to start you over. I think probably over 80% of the ones, of the start overs were planned. Okay. But I there were the spontaneous the ones, ones. Right. If somebody just blurted out in the middle of a rap that, oh, I was at school today and I smoked pot and nobody knew about it, then that would be one of those spontaneous okay. things where, where you're started over, of course. But Well, it seems like there they, was really minor things that could happen in a rap and it would just kind yeah. of blow up. You right. know, like a little thing would become a big thing. You know right. how that would just escalate and, you right. know, you're accused of all kinds. Of, and then at the end of it, oh, you're started over. Huh? Right. Based off of, I mean, yeah. it could have started with, you look like look like crap today. What's wrong with you? Right. And it could and have it, ended it with, you're started over. Right. Yeah. Did you have to write those up too? I don't remember having to do that because those were just something that wasn't planned out. Most of the, the ones that I had to do were planned out. They already knew ahead of time they got the report from somebody else saying this is what this person has done uh -huh. and this is what we're going to do. Wow. Wow. That's, yeah. Again, this is all new to me, yeah. um, except for I wrote up this stuff, but still hearing you talk about it is, you know, very enlightening. Um, <laughs> um now, there was a story you told me about the first time that you had to pick out kids that were going to stand in front of the doors because right. kids had to guard the doors. Right. What happened? Um, I would have to go by each intake or yeah, each intake room uh -huh. and choose. There was five doors, I think, at the time that I was on training that had to be covered. And you had to be on second phase or higher to, to do that. Uh -huh. So I would go in and mentally pick out the five or six people that I wanted and then I would write them down on a pad of paper. But I couldn't just say, go ahead and do it. I had to have a junior staff's approval for those people to stand at a door. Okay. So I would write down the list of people that I wanted, and then I would go in and say, and, and just to even get in the stupid door, I had to knock on the door. Okay. And then only after I was told I could come in could I go in. I couldn't just knock on the door and walk in. I had to actually be told, come in. Uh-huh. And then I had to address the first staff member that I saw and then say, can I go over people standing at the door? And so they would say, okay. And then I would say, I want this person, this person, this person, this person to stand at the door. And they would say, okay, you can have these three, but these two, no. So I'd be like, okay, for whatever reason. Okay. So then I would go back out and pick two more people and come back. And I would list the first three people and then the new people. And they would say, no, I don't want the second person. You approved the second person the first time, not why not? Now? <laughs> no, you can't have this, and I don't want those two new ones either. So now you got to go and pick out three more people. And it was a back and forth until I finally got enough people to cover the doors. And then I had to go out to the to the intake rooms. There's just outside of the intake rooms, 
and then say, who wants to stand at the door? And then everybody would raise their hand and I would pick them out like I was the one making the decision. It was already pre-planned. It was already pre-planned. And we were motivating had... going, oh, pick oh, me, yeah, pick yeah. me. And but it... I already knew that I wasn't <laughs> going to pick you or I was going to pick you. It didn't really matter. So we were motivating and getting excited over nothing. Over nothing. So finally what I had to do to get past that, because I just got tired of the back and forth, is I would just write down the name of every single old comer in those rooms and say, here's the list, pick out five of them. <laughs> so, <laughs> why do you think staff did, I mean, why do you think they did this to you? I think I mean, they did it just for the power play. I think they liked having that kind of control over even the stupidest little things. It also sounds a, childish. Yeah, it just, they got a kick out of it. They thought it was funny to say, oh, I just made him have to pick everybody all over again. And yet another reason just, why teenagers have no business right. doing this yeah. because they're going to act like kids. Right. Which is stupid. I mean, anyway. Now, you talked about um, that you were not allowed to leave confrontations alone. You always had right. to have um, you had to have somebody with you, another staff member. Right. And there was a quote in your manuscript that I thought was, well, I thought it was hilarious, but it says, <laughs> confrontations were to be controlled and monitored by at least two junior and senior staff members, end quote. First, could you explain what they meant in their mind by controlled and monitored? What they meant was they were supervising to make sure that what was said to the person being confronted was in line with what was happening. In their mind. But in their mind, yeah. Uh-huh. So they wanted to have the appearance that they were in control of this thing. They were picking the people that they wanted to call on, and the end result was going to be what they wanted. But in reality, there was no control and monitoring. That's why I laughed. Yeah. Because they just that's... let the group go It was crazy. chaos. Yeah. Yeah. They just start picking people. And it was a pile-on. Yeah, right. One would get called on, and then they would, you know, confront somebody and cuss them out. And yep. and then the next, they would, next. They literally go, next. Who's right. next? And they Who's would just next? start Who picking wants... them one after another right. to blow the person away. It, it was, that was not controlled and no, monitored. It wasn't controlled, and it wasn't monitored at all. That was abuse. No. Yeah. I mean. Psychological uh, and verbal abuse at its best is what that was and it wasn't controlled ever which is ironic yeah okay so there was a time you witnessed a staff member abuse a client in group right mm, yes um so you saw him throw a non-compliant kid to the floor several times mm -hmm. okay um what i'm about to do i'm about to read an excerpt from your manuscript while i do this i have been you know trying not to use bad words but in this part i am going to leave them in on purpose and the reason is that the confrontations has so much profanity in them that i think it's important to leave it in once so somebody can get the feel for how graphic it was right and even what i do is very mild compared to what it was but i just wanted to forewarn anyone if you don't want to hear it this is the time to plug your ears or hit fast forward it's not real bad but it's three bad words so uh, here's the quote. In the front row was a young 18-year-old man named Ronald. He was not involved in the rap. He was not motivating. He was basically slouched in his chair. Ronald was not bothering anyone, and he was not posing a threat to the safety of other clients around him or himself. Leonard told Ronald to stand up. Ronald refused. Leonard grabbed Ronald under his arms and lifted him out of his chair. This really surprised me, as Leonard isn't a really big person. 
He began yelling at him for not being involved. He started telling Ronald that he was a sponge and taking from the group. Then he pushed him to the floor. I felt sick to my stomach. Now it seemed Leonard was enjoying himself. He was starting to have fun, sorry. Leonard told Ronald to stand back up. When he just laid on the ground and didn't move, Leonard got angry and pulled him up with one arm and the back of his head. When he realized that he would not be able to lift him all the way to his feet, he pushed him on the ground again. The thud was nauseating. Leonard leaned over the top of Ronald and began cussing him out. Ronald again made no move toward Leonard or anyone else. He just laid there. Leonard again picked him up by the back of his head. Ronald stood to his feet. His eyes were closed and he was basically ignoring Leonard. This only infuriated him more. You looked at me when I'm talking to you, you piece of shit. Don't you fucking hear me, moron? Now I was getting angry. I wanted so bad to raise my hand and yell at Leonard. But I knew if I did that, he would only have the group turn against me. He pushed Ronald to the floor for a third time. Again, he did not retaliate. It wasn't that he couldn't. If Ronald really wanted to, he could have beat the absolute shit out of Leonard and humiliated him completely. Ronald didn't want any trouble. He just wanted to be left alone. Leonard looked up at me and smiled, but when he saw how upset I was about what I was witnessing, he quit. Ronald lay on the ground for a few more minutes, and then he was picked up and put on his chair by other newcomers sitting around him. End quote. What did you say after the rap to that staff member? I had to go into the office and basically go up through the chain of command to even get into his office to talk to him. And I told him that basically what he did was wrong. It was abusive and it was uncalled for. What did he say? He said, sometimes you just have to be tough. You just have to get tough. Or get rough. With these kids. Yeah, get rough with these kids. My stomach turns yeah. reading that. And I can remember when I left the, the that office, I, I had tears in my eyes. I was so upset. And as I was walking out, there was a junior staff member that never wanted me to be on staff to begin with. Uh-huh. He tried to stop and talk to me. And I just pushed him out of my way and said, I just need to get out of here. Mm-hmm. And I thought about that later, and I thought that's the first time since I've known this guy that he actually was concerned about what was going on. That That's how upset I was. Because it was obvious to everybody that I was really upset about what I had witnessed. What was going... I mean, you had some of your own thoughts mixed in that quote. But what were right. you thinking when this poor guy was just literally not fighting back, doing nothing except for not participating, right. and he was getting abused for it? Yeah. I was just... I was shocked and I was angry that this was allowed to happen. Uh-huh. Tim, I could see if he was fighting in group. And he uh -huh. was causing, you know, some other problems. But he wasn't doing anything mm -hmm. to note to anybody. It just really, it hit me, it, it hit me especially hard. Uh-huh. Now, what's interesting about what you just said, I remember seeing stuff like that all the time. But to you, you felt like you had never seen something like that. Right. Now, that could be because the perceptions, you right. know, like, I'm not, per well... We all perceived misbehaviors as bad, and it was all their fault. Right. So I wonder why your perception was different. And it's not you. It was straight. Right. You know, that was, it is helped right. maybe because we were so desensitized <laughs> mm -hmm. 
that it happens so often. And honestly, I don't remember seeing a staff member do that and get that physical with a client mm -hmm. before. It says it was always the other clients that were sitting people on the floor and, and restraining them and stuff. Right. So I I don't honestly remember if I if I ever saw that before from a staff member getting that physical. Well, your program was pretty short too. Yeah. So maybe you didn't, so, but there was also um, not. Like it happened like this a lot, like almost word for word a lot. But the difference would be a staff member wouldn't be throwing them on the floor, but they would be in their face poking them in the chest. Right. You know, it, it would happen like that. But everything right. else about what I just described was identical. Yeah. And it would be a kid not doing anything wrong. He just wasn't participating. Right. So maybe that was the shock to you right. to see a staff member get hands on like that. Right. And see, you know, it, it's a different perception maybe. Right. And yeah. you were on staff and right. you were focused on it. Mm -hmm. Right. You weren't a group. You weren't a kid in group terrified of it. I, I saw the I saw the reality of what was going on, and I had been, and I had been out of that group for a while. I'd been. Maybe that's why. Yeah. Maybe during the time the, between the time I seven stepped and now coming back on staff, things had changed that much. Well, that was like, wasn't that was like a, almost a year after you seven stepped? That was. About seven, eight months. Okay, okay. Out. So quite a bit of time had gone by. Maybe that's why. You weren't seeing it every day anymore, right, so yeah. you were you actually reacted to it. Yeah. Yeah, and we saw, I mean, like I said, it was common. This yeah. was normal. It happened all the time. But the effect on me was I was scared to death. You know, I wasn't thinking poor kid. It wasn't the, you know, I was so busy being terrified. So maybe right. that's why the perception's different. We were right. sitting in a different point. And you said you had been away for a while. Right. Oh, sickening. Okay, so for a moment, we're going to go back to aftercare and being an officer because this part actually overlaps your time of being as a trainee, too. It's kind mm -hmm. of a long thing. It was kind of the beginning of the end of your involvement in Street 2, which we'll definitely get to. Now, normally, this is not something that people publicly discuss. But because of how crazy straight was, it's actually a huge deal at the time. So, after your six months aftercare was over, you started dating and you had mm -hmm. sex. Correct. Afterward, you experienced intense guilt and shame, partly because of your religious beliefs, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. So normally, handling a situation like this would be done privately in accordance with whatever your religious beliefs are, right? Right. Okay. Would you go confess to the entire congregation? No. Why not? Nobody else's business. Exactly. <laughs> so there was another reason you felt guilty too, which was because of straight? Right. What, why is that? Because I knew that I could get in trouble. Why? Because it was an unwritten rule uh -huh. that premarital sex was wrong uh -huh. and that in doing so was going against the principles of the program and I could I was facing the idea in my mind anyway that I could be put back on front row and started over for this right and have to go through my entire program again so you were really paranoid so about this. I was scared to death that I was gonna get started over and so you kept this a secret for a while right. I bottled it up and didn't tell anybody okay and how old were you when I you had sex 21 you're a 21 year old man right right and you're afraid of getting in trouble right. for having sex right. which you're entitled to do Okay, so it's another business. It's something you should never share with the entire world. 
and you were, like you said, you were afraid of losing your position. Right. But then when you were a, a trainee, you were on that rap stool leading raps, and it right. got worse. Can you tell me why? Um, I was up there leading raps, having the expectation of the group to be honest with themselves, to mm -hmm. be honest with the group, to be honest with their old comers, to be honest with their families, uh -huh. and to be honest with staff. Right. And here I was, in my own mind, not doing any of that because of this. I wasn't... I should have brought this out earlier in my mind, and I wasn't doing that. And so that just made the guilt even more prominent uh -huh. because now I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing as a trainee. And I was, I felt like, honestly, I felt like I was letting the group down because I wasn't being real with them. Because you weren't confessing about having sex. Right. I know I'm repeating myself, but right. I'm doing it for a reason because right. this is crazy. Right. But it is the mentality of straight. Right. Because in straight, you were taught you had to confess everything, everything. to the entire group. Right. Even or your thoughts. Your thoughts, if your you, motives, everything. Yeah. If you had a thought about leaving or going back and smoking a joint or drinking a beer, you had to tell somebody about mm -hmm. that thought. Right. And this wasn't isolated. This no, really this was, did. This is the way it really was. Right. As irrational as it sounds, it was the reality. Right. So after struggling with this irrational paranoia and this guilt that's just killing you, you finally confessed. What happened? Right. Um, one of the junior staff members started seeing a change in me. Uh-huh. And it concerned him enough to the point where he pulled me into a makeshift office. We were expanding at that time. The building okay. was being built. And so we were... He brought me into this other room, uh -huh. and he knew something was going on. Mm -hmm. Now, the person that was doing this was the last person I wanted to confess to. Uh huh. But it finally built up to the point where I'm like, I don't have a choice. I've got to let this out, and I've got to let it out now. And so I told him. I said, I dated a girl my six months, and we had sex. And as soon as I let that out, the guilt and everything just sort of went away because you confessed because I finally confessed like straight told you he to. wasn't ready for that he knew something was going on but he had no idea what I was going to say and so it right. set, it set him back he was like uh -huh. surprised so the next thing I know that room is filling up with every junior staff member and every senior staff member in the building that day and the the, the really weird thing is I'm looking back on this and I have no memory of what was being said to me mm-hmm I know they were saying things to me. They had uh -huh. to have. They weren't just going to sit there and watch me right. be this pile of emotions and <laughs> stuff. They were, right. I'm sure they were confronting me or talking to me or whatever, but uh -huh. I don't remember what they, what they were doing. But they, they surrounded saying, you. But they surrounded me. I felt like I was back in an intake room that I couldn't get out. Well, it actually and, got worse than that. Yeah. I mean, if, as if things couldn't possibly be worse. Yeah. Then you had to have a meeting with an executive and your mother? My, mother. my mother was the executive secretary to the director at the time. And so they went to her and said, we need you to meet in Mr. Croc's office right away. Something about your son. That's all she knew uh -huh. when she first came into this. So her mind was reeling, I'm sure, as well, going, did he screw up? Did he relapse? What's going on? <laughs> right. And so I had to tell my mother what had happened as a grown man you had to tell your mother you had sex <laughs> yes in front of an executive in, in front of the assistant director of the program yes i laugh so because as someone that's old and i know that that's ludicrous but at the time again this was really serious right 
I mean, dead serious. Yeah. And in my eyes, because I had been exposed to this for over a year of how serious this was, to be honest and to always share your emotions and your feelings and your thoughts and everything. Yeah, everything. shared. You couldn't hold back anything no, in straight. No. Because if you did, you were being dishonest. That's right. why you thought you were being right. dishonest, because yeah. you didn't speak it out loud. Right. Oh, private matter as an adult. Um, well, it got even worse. What did they make you do next? They... After my mom went back to her office, I was told that I no longer had responsibilities as a trainee. Uh huh. I was going to be going home with my junior staff member, who was my immediate supervisor. Mm -hmm. I was going to write MIs again. Uh huh. He was going to go over those MIs. Treat you like me. a newcomer. He treated me like a newcomer, and I had to start attending seven step reps again. Uh huh. Is and there another uh, confession you had to make? I had to tell the group. How many people were in group? There was probably at least 50 to 75 people in the group at that time of the day. Now, the thing is, I told him, I told the executive, I need to tell the group about this. I was still in that mentality that I still had to tell even more people <laughs> about this <laughs> instead of just saying, okay, I've told everybody on staff knows, an executive knows, my family knows. But now I felt like I still had to tell even more people because, again, in my mind, I had let them down by holding this back. For the duration of the time I'd been on trainee before. So mm -hmm. that was my mm -hmm. my brainwashed. Well, attitude. that's what strength trained us to do. Right. This was not a joke. I mean, it was yeah. really serious, and you had so, to confess to the group. And the thing is, what was funny was the executive staff member was like, Well, wait a minute. Let me let me think on that for a minute. Don't do it today. I'll get back to you tomorrow or sometime and let you know whether or not they really need to know. Uh-huh. And then the next day, they came up and said, you can talk about it because you weren't on staff when it happened. Had I been on staff, the group never would have known. But because I was a seven-stepper at the time, uh -huh. then, yeah, the group can know. Which doesn't and make You didn't sense. even break a rule, which no, was crazy because exactly. your aftercare was even over. But, of course, you're an adult and you could have broke the rule if you wanted because you were an adult. Right. But. So, it was just. Straight was insane. Yeah. So basically, by the time it was all over, there was probably around 100 people that knew that you had sex. Right. Wow. And I was being punished for it by having to write MIs and going home and being treated like a newcomer again. Yep. That, Which is... That was... And I remember that because I wrote my MI. Mm -hmm. My junior went over it and said, it wasn't good enough, rewrite it. And I said, no. Mm -hmm. I'm exhausted. I'm going to bed. I'll see you in the morning. And I did. I just like the whole thing is just ridiculous. Right. I mean, it's just. I'm sure to people listening, they're just probably like in shock, going, "Is this for real?" Yeah, it happened. Yeah, it was real. this is normal. This yeah. was straight. But so, it kept getting even worse after that. Yeah, tell us what happened. Um, my best friend from the program, he had been out of the program for a while, uh -huh. probably over a year. And it got back to him, and he was living up in Dayton. Oh, Lord. He went out of his way to come down to the building to tell me that I don't think I could ever trust you again. And at that point, the friendship was over between him and I. Because you had sex right. as a grown man. Right. I, you know what? Again, I'm repeating yeah. this on purpose yeah. because... But that just goes to show how brainwashed he still was. And uh -huh. he had been out of the program for probably close to a year or more when oh, this yeah. happened. And I was just like... This was our belief that yeah. you had done something horrible by right. doing this. Yeah. I might, I would have been better off relapsing because I feel like they would have understood that a little bit more. 
which is nuts. Right. I mean, it's the other way around. Right. And there's a reason I ask you, would you go confess to your congregation in church? Right. No. No, of course not. There's a reason I asked you that, and this is why. Right. You know, because it's just like, it, it didn't even make sense. No, not at all. But it, it was insane. And well, and actually, you were treated pretty poorly by other Everybody. people on staff because of this. They right. gave you the silent treatment even, right? right. Yeah. After I had gotten done with the meeting with the executive, I was standing in the back group, uh -huh. and I was supposed to be getting involved in that, and not a single junior or senior staff member came up and gave me any kind of words of encouragement saying, hey, we got your back, you uh -huh. know, if you need anything, call me, let me know. I was completely shunned at that moment by, by staff. And, and I know then, there was other things that went into this, but you actually got <clears throat> suicidal. Yes. And this was a part of it. Right. What happened? As... As my time on staff trainee went on, I had fewer and fewer friends. I had no friends on staff at this point. Uh -huh. I had one time where a staff member went and we were supposed to go to a park together, mm -hmm. but then he ended up leaving me high and dry and leaving without me. Mm -hmm. And um, even that confrontation didn't go well. I confronted him about that. And then I don't remember even being able to hang out with other seven-steppers. So this whole incident work. triggered this isolation. Right. I was isolated from everybody. And it got to the point where I started thinking about suicide every day. Uh-huh. I dreaded the days that I went into work. I don't even remember what I did on my days off. Well, didn't you have to go in other rooms to cry sometimes? Yeah. There because... was times that I would just become overwhelmed with emotions, and I would have to, to duck into an intake room or a bathroom. Or in the last case... Uh, the utility room, which was right across the hall from the junior staff office. Mm -hmm. And it was in that moment that I said, I can't do this anymore. If I don't get promoted to junior staff today, uh -huh. I'm going to commit suicide. Man. And that was, that was it. Um, so from there, I went ahead. This was just before the afternoon wrap, which I was leading by myself by this time because the other trainee that I used to do it with had already been promoted to junior staff. And so he was in on the, on the staff meetings. Okay. And I was getting ready to start the junior or the afternoon wrap. Mm -hmm. And another staff member came out and came up to me and sat next to, the, next to me on the wrap stool. And she said, they want me to observe you, so I'm doing this wrap with you. Okay. And so I said, okay. This was cool. I liked this this person. I'd never done a rap with her before. Uh-huh. And so the rap went off without a hitch. Uh-huh. It went really super well. And the th and I wanna I wanna touch on this too. Okay. When I was going through all of this, I had an incredible ability to just shut down everything when I was in front of that group. Okay. They had no clue that I was going through the six kinds of hell that I was going through right. with the staff behind the scenes. Nobody knew. I never let that show. Uh -huh. And thankfully, I never had an emotional breakdown when mm -hmm. I was up in front of a group. I was totally focused on them. Okay. And so this rap went off without a hitch. And then right toward the end of the rap, she leaned over and she said, I don't know why I'm up here. You're doing a great job. Wow. And with that, she hopped off her rap stool and went back to the staff meeting. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, the suicidal ideations went completely away because I thought I got one, one person, person believed in me. Said the right thing. Yeah. And Thanks. completely changed the course of my life at that point because I knew even if I didn't make junior staff, which obviously I didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't care anymore because I had that one person in my corner. Mm -hmm. And I can even remember after that rap, 
being pulled into the office and yelled at and screamed at and confronted again over stupid little stuff that I don't even remember. And this particular time I had a smile on my face. And that really upset the staff member that yeah. was yelling at me because do you think this is funny? And I'm like, no, but I've got one person that Make, said I'm doing a, a good job. Yeah. And I walked out and I was supposed to get permission to leave the staff office after I was done doing what uh -huh. I needed to do. I walked out of there without even without the permission that they wanted to grant me. Right. So. By the time you left staff, you said you were angry and resentful, though, right? right. Because oh, yeah. of how you were treated? Right. That's yeah. just crazy. And and you had, up until this point, your experience with straight was actually good. Yeah. You had a very positive view of the program. Yeah. But that was the first bad experience, right. right? My time on staff was absolutely the worst part of my involvement in that program. I would gladly go and do my whole program all over again as a client before I'd spend a single day as a staff And that's staff saying a lot because being a client is not fun. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. it was difficult. Yeah. I was treated better as a client on first phase than I was as a staff trainee. Wow. As an adult. And it's really interesting. <laughs> like, some of us have a bad experience on first phase, but not upper phase. You know, it's like everybody is right. a little bit different in what was bad. My real bad part was after I seven step two, which is, you know, my thing. But yeah. um, now, if it's okay, there's something I would like to say. Um, I usually don't go off on tangents. It's actually not a tangent, but what happened to you is so bad, I really want people to understand why. I mean, aside from the obvious, okay, he had sex and he's making, everybody has to know about it. That's crazy. Yeah. The cultish system that expected you to confess all the time messed with your head and taught you things that just aren't even true in the real world. Right. They just weren't even reality, but it was in your head. The urge to confess to everyone and the guilt, if you didn't, was created by straight. Absolutely. Straight's version of honesty was unhealthy and it put you through unnecessary hell. Honesty is a very important thing to learn. Nobody's disputing that. Right. But straight completely disregarded normal personal boundaries and privacy. Mm -hmm. And again, made you confess to things that you never should have. It, it just, And then the cult rejects you. Because you acted like a normal grown man. You didn't have sex and broadcast it. That's what people usually do. They usually right. don't tell the world and confess. People don't go around doing this. But in straight, that was expected. So to be punished and ostracized by the cult over something that was none of their business in the first place is just wrong. Right. So this is just an example of how crazy straight was and how they put stuff in your head that was actually harmful that really messed with your life right. you know nobody laid a hand on you mm -mm. they didn't have to they messed you up emotionally and mentally to the point that that experience almost led you to suicide right. and that's how bad straight was all right, so we're going to switch to a lighter topic, if there is such a thing with straight. Um, do you think straight believed that breaking straight rules would lead you back to drugs? Yes. You... Everything negative in your life could lead you back to doing drugs. Could you elaborate on that? If I had a thought, if I even lusted after another girl in the group, uh -huh. and I had bad thoughts about her, then if, I, if I'm okay with having that thought, and I can justify that off, well, then I can think about maybe having a beer. And then having that thought could lead me to saying, well, you know, maybe I could try that. 
and eventually it would go down that rabbit hole of you actually going back and Kinda doing like drugs. Kind of like the slippery slope argument, right. like one thing leads yeah. to another automatically. Yeah. If you can justify or excuse yourself in doing one thing, then it can go all the way to the point that, well, it's okay to go back to do drugs then. Everything that that was negative in your life could eventually lead you back to drugs. To back to drugs. Which is irrational. Right. I mean, because the example you gave, um, you're a young 20, 21 year old man, and it is normal to have raging hormones at that time in your life, and you're looking at the opposite sex right. or whatever, and that's normal. Right. That's not going to lead me back to yeah. drugs. Yeah. But it really was like and that. And it got to the point where every moral inventory I was writing, I would end with, if I don't make this change in my attitude or in my thought process or whatever, I could go back to drugs. Everything mm -hmm. was attached to, if I don't make this change, I'm going to screw up. No matter how silly the rule was, right. it didn't matter. Right. Like, And they had another phrase that was similar. Being out of touch with your program right. would lead you back to drugs. Wasn't that kind of the same thing? Right. And what did they mean by that? Do you know? It means that you weren't applying the seven steps to the problem that you have and that you were trying to fix it in a different way. So they were expecting you to, every time you made a move, to think through all seven steps, right. the three criteria, the five signs. Exactly. Are, which is, again, not normal. Right. No. It was part of the program. Right. But it's not, it's, isn't that a kind of unnatural way to exist? It is. Because you can't stop every time you think. It to a point where I'd say, I want to drink a beer. No, I don't. Done. Right. That simple. You know, I went from a seven-step program to a two-step. I'm thinking about having a drink. No, you don't. Done. First step is thinking about it. Second uh -huh. step is saying no and moving on. Everything it's in straight simple, was an ordeal. Yeah. So and, straight didn't make any of that simple or normal no and <laughs> and oddly breaking a rule was equated to being out of touch with your program right. and going back to drugs yeah. it was like one thing led to yeah. another led even to as another. something as stupid as you didn't knock on that door when you went in that room yes i didn't knock on a door and that's going to lead me back to doing drugs because that's druggy behavior not right. following the rules yeah, exactly yeah. Uh, okay whatever um, all right, so let's take a break and we're going to start on talking about how adults were treated in straight. Okay.